Davey. Hi, Tom. Have you uh, watched any recent new Doctor Who's? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Tell us. Um, quality's been, quality's been variable, I can't lie. I really enjoyed the one with um, the Jadun a couple of weeks ago. That was quite good. And then, um, but the other nights was a bit sort of... I think, in all honesty, in some ways, it was the, the best episode since the series came back. But in equal parts, just absolutely the worst. It's a bit of a shame. And, um, well, tell us why. Well, it's just, you know, cack-handed, sledgehammer, subtle dialogue was, was really bad. We got... Um, we got a little, if you've been affected by the issues raised in this episode, sort of voiceover as, as this, the credits rolled to the side at the end, which was just like, just made me cringe. But equally, there was a nice little animated sequence, which was, was beautiful and some really genuinely quite creepy scares, but probably the best since thinking back. It's, um, aye, it was, a, it was interesting. Mm. Uh, did you, um, have you watched any of it yourself? No, not yet. Cacophony tells you you're listening to the Power of Three podcast where three lifelong Doctor Who fans I'll introduce them to shortly discuss, enthuse, occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. And here are my co conspirators. Hello, Davey. Hello, Tom. Kenny. Hello, I'm Kenny. Oh my god, it's bigger than the inside. It's talking about my dining room. Absolutely. <laughs> the door's huge. We've decided to talk about three. Arrivals in this episode. Uh, so episodes or adventures where regular companions or characters arrived at for the very first time. And then next week, we'll do one about departures. That's a good idea. It is. What, what could we follow that with? Davy yes. introduces to the first adventure. The Face of Evil was the fourth serial of season 14 of Doctor Who when broadcast. It was originally billed as the start of a new series due to the six-week gap since the final episode of The Deadly Assassin. As originally broadcast, it in fact followed omnibus editions of Pyramids of Mars and The Brain of Morbius, amongst other unrelated programmes. Unrelated? I guess that probably just means that other like, programmes... Like Blue Peter and stuff. <laughs> the news... <laughs> Cartoon yeah. time. Um, interesting. Is it right? Okay. However, this marketing ploy has not generally been remembered, nor has it been propagated in reference books such as the Fourth Doctor Handbook. Right, that's the worst one I've ever had to read out. Well, they're, they're wrong there because if you read um, Wife in Space series of books where they go through every episode, yeah. uh, soon Neil Perriman, well, Neil Perriman specifically refers to. That he says, you know, people thought this was sold as a new start of a new series, yeah, but oh. it's actually part of the same series. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've you haven't edited that entry, have you, Tom? That one from Tardis Wiki. From our friends at Tardis Wiki. No, it's interesting because it doesn't mention the arrival of Leela or Louise Jameson at all. That is no. weird, isn't it? That's terrible. Whereas the break is obviously <laughs> the most important thing about it all. Ah, of yeah. course, so bizarre. Amongst other unrelated, pro- I mean, there weren't. That, uh, there weren't any other Doctor Who. No, I mean, we yeah. should stop slagging off our friends at TardisWiki.com yeah. because they are providing us with many laughs every yeah. episode. Did, did you know that I've got a listing on that? Oh, have you? I have, I'm listed in the Tardis Wiki. Wow. Because of your, your, your still work for BF. It's got my big finished work and it's also got my uh, other things that I've done for the record in the mirror as well. Cool. And, and it's all listed. We'll have to, 
Well, I'll have to read out your introduction. Oh. So, are you are you canon? It seems that I am canon. Wow. I think I'm. I think that the person next to me is young Matthew Smith. I'm sure that you know, that, that actor fellow, actor chappy. Share the same birthday as my dad. You know, the, the young lad from Northampton likes Blackburn Rovers. Used to have a back injury and played football, and then he stopped. Started acting. What's his brilliant hair? Yes, that's the one. Oh, hair envy. Brilliant hair. Matt Smith. That's the one. That's what he's known as. They, they love Doctor Tom. I'm aware of as well. <laughs> oh, thank God for you that. Threw me, threw me with Matthew. <laughs> I, I was, well, it's not a Sunday. Crikey. Anyway, sorry, sorry I interrupted with my table point. So, Face of Evil. Yes. Um, it just so happens that I, in my marathon through the series from beginning to end, I just happened to have come across Face of Evil just in the last couple of weeks. In fact, I haven't finished watching it yet. I've just finished episode three. Do we spoil it? The episode four for you? That's okay. I know the Doctor survives and Leila leaves with him, but... Um, I was really impressed by Louise Jameson. Oh, she's fantastic. Because I think when you're younger, I mean, I haven't seen this genuinely since it was first broadcast. Okay. Uh, so that was, what, 77? And uh, I was 13 at the time. You don't really pay attention to people's acting. You don't, that's not something you register. It's not, that you, you look at the special effects, you mm. look at the story. You don't really look at people's acting. And she is brilliant. She is. She is. I mean, just, you know, a really a class apart for from what you not I don't mean what you normally get in Doctor Who but certainly you know a level of acting that you you kind of got in adult dramas yeah. Yeah. she's instantly believable yeah she, she brings that a, a sort of gravitas I mean for somebody who was very young at the time and, and hadn't done much television she's absolutely incredible she's she's got that presence she's absolutely you can't be not, not just with the outfit but your eyes are instantly drawn to her there's something mm-hmm. very sort of She's got a presence straight away. So, the story. Um, I'm trying to remember. It starts off with the trial, isn't it? With Leela's trial. And yeah. she's being yeah. accused of not believing in something or other. And she's, mm. she's sentenced to exile. And, she, yeah. and then the, the bad witch doctor's uh, voodoo man sends some assassins after her. And that's when she meets the doctor. Yeah. Stop me from getting this wrong. Mm. Yes, that's correct. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famously, she, she didn't get on that well with Baker. At that time, I think he, um, Tom, didn't want a companion, mm-hmm. so they gave him the Deadly Assassin as a trial run, after which is a lead. huge mistake because it, it, I know it, he's not <coughs> technically breaking the fourth wall at the very start when he comes out the TARDIS. Yeah. It looks a hell of a lot like it, and he mm. speaks to camera and he and it's his innermost thoughts. I think this is not Hyde Park. Could be a nexial discontinuity. Must remember to overhaul those traces. What a knot, my hanky. Wonder what that was for. Little look round, Doctor. Why not? And you think, well, if he had a companion, that wouldn't be necessary. I, th- I think it's the Doctor himself, sort of acknowledging I'd normally be speaking to someone here. And yeah. the th- they get you know, and the thing about the Deadly Assassin, which we'll talk about, I'm sure again fairly soon when the when the the Blu-ray box set comes out. Yeah. Um, he there are still scenes where he has to explain to people what's going on. The companion has a function. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Exactly. You know, it's so the doctor and the companion can. At least he didn't turn to camera and wish everyone a merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's it's um. I, uh, I don't really want to say at this point, sorry. I, don't know I, think, it's, say. I, think, it's quite, I think it's interesting <laughs> when you've got the the fact that the when we meet the Tesh and we discover that they and the Seva team were obviously both from 
the same mission of Earth colonists that's crash-landed in this world. And we've got the division between the physical and the mental side of, of human existence. Mm. And it's, it's quite a fascinating study in, yeah. for, in science fiction terms. It's something that you could imagine they'd make a big budget movie out of and you could make a whole series of it. What's, what's his name? Is it Chris Boucher? Is yes, it was. Yeah. Chris Boucher. Boucher is he's obviously... Did you say Chris Boucher there? Boucher, Boucher close <laughs> friend of John Latouille. Um, I've, I've heard, I'm sure I've seen it pronounced differently, or heard it pronounced differently. He's obviously a very clever man because, you know, psychology is obviously something that's, that interests him because there's a, there's a lot, you know, there's, the, um, there's that brilliant line in Face of Evil, you know, about which gets quoted all the time now about, you know, the very powerful not changing their views to fit the facts, they change the facts to fit their views. And there's some brilliant stuff in obviously Robots of Death. Which of is course, Robophobia. And just, you know, the, just, you know, the classic example of inverse ratio between the size of the mouth. He's, he wrote some, like, and of course, he wrote Blake, so much of Blake 7. Yeah, of course. Which, and you know, is and a novelisation, I think. Which was so, you know, I ha- admittedly I haven't seen an awful lot of Blake 7 as a grown up, but you know, I know that the people that, that do watch it and are huge fans and all that. Um, you know, and I remember, you know, I remember at the time Blake Seven it was huge because people watched it because the writing was so good because Voucher writes people really really well. He obviously understands human nature, understands how people behave. He's, he's his dialogue and all that's great. See, I think what one of the nice ideas about it is you know we're used to these stories where you you unravel a mystery about why these colonists are here and and what the circumstances in and how did they get here. And you finally work out that they are descendants of some space exploration, some expedition. Mm-hmm. Right from the very beginning, the witch doctor and all the the tribesmen are, are using space implements and spacesuits, and yeah. you know they're not. He's not making any kind of mm-hmm. uh, secret of it. It's, it's clearly it's right there in plain view. So the the, the mystery becomes something different. Yeah. It's not about it's what whether you work it out. It's whether it's about well you know so what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. Because you do you do wonder is it the case of like the these are the natives and they've been repressed? Yes. Yeah. Or is it yeah, uh, a case right. of, or not as we found out later, that's definitely not the case. Something I just want to, to go back to is um, something that Dave said about two minutes ago, when he referred to himself as being a grown-up and not an adult, and I'm just going to give Dave a hug because I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. Is I mean, I mean watching Blake Seven as a grown-up. I, I mean, I haven't seen he it. Said it again, he's not an adult, he's I a grown-up. I haven't seen it as a, well, you know, in very comms, I've not seen it probably since about, it was the last repeat We're going to have to do a special episode on Blake 7, you? We should do. We yeah. should do the whole thing. Back to the plot. Yes. Uh, Leila and the Doctor team up and she kills somebody quite early yeah, on. With the James she, she, she knocks out a colourful, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah, she kills three people in like, the first episode, which is unusual yeah. for the Doctor Who companion. Yeah. But the re- I remember vividly when I saw the, the first cliffhanger at the end of episode one, when they see the face carved into the mountain side. And I got really excited about it because I, the, the sculpture is so bad <laughs> that I thought it was John Pertwee. Oh. And I thought this was going to be a whole, you know, oh. look back to yeah. an, an, oh, an event in during John Pertwee's era. And I was a amazing. little bit disappointed the next episode it turned out yeah. it was just Tom Baker. Not uh, just Tom Baker. Yeah. Yeah, but see... I know what you mean. Yeah. In those days, there were no repeats of, of really old episodes. Oh, yeah. So the idea that you would reference something that happened at a time when I could just about... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. That, you know, nowadays, kids don't know they're born. They can press a button and they've, they've got it all at the drop of a hat. Whereas, Absolutely. You know, we had to make do with... Uh, we were brought up in a shoebox exactly. on the road and we're yeah, grateful for if it. If we were lucky. Exactly. 
because that's something that I really like in the novelisation. It's when Terence adds in uh, <laughs> a reference to robots. So that's when the Doctor makes that journey when he's still confused, goes in the TARDIS, obviously goes to the world of the Seventeen, has his wander about, meets Zoanne, and, and then goes back and he doesn't remember it. Uh, which I think is quite a nice wee bit of continuity that... Uh, you see, I, can, I, I just read the novelisation, but I couldn't remember in hindsight whether I remembered that from the television series or yeah. from the novel. See, that's yeah. what I love about Terrence yeah. Dicks. I'm the biggest, biggest fan of them all. It's interesting because, you know, the, um, the Face of Evil, it's, it's in many ways, it's the ultimate sort of broken machine story, you know, which was a trope which was kind of popular again for a few for a few years there under that lovely you know, mr moffat you know some some weird stuff you know there's a i can't remember, only watched it recently i can't remember there's a star trek episode that's, that has that sort of idea when all sorts of weird stuff's going on and it just turns out then there's a computer malfunctioning <laughs> you know and it's it's um it's interesting the whole th- the whole thing with the and having the doctor's voice is really really effective because mm-hmm. you, you know as you say tom you're you're, you're given all these sort of clues is that there's something going on, but you're not really told what. Um, get a bit of there. <laughs> I just like I just want to say my two cents worth about Louise again though, because she's just she's amazing. I've said this many times. I think she's the best. You know, and I don't and and I don't like I don't use absolutes like that. But I think she's the best regular actor to be a Doctor Who full stop. She was only in a couple of seasons, wasn't she? About a season and a half. Yeah, yeah. season and a half. Yeah. And she's so iconic. She's remembered so well. And yeah. it's um, you know, as you say, like you, when you're a certain age, you're distracted by, you know, the costume and the beautiful mm. lady. But she's so good. I mean, she's. She it's great watching the interv- interview sort of bonus features with her when she talks about how she worked out the characterization from like you know a little girl who lived upstairs from and. A dog that she knew, you know. Uh, she's just, she's su- such a, you know, so committed. I was reading a profile in uh, the complete history, mm-hmm. and she mentions that uh, she realised that she had become a sex object, and that she was, you know, what dads tuned in for. <laughs> and she says something like, "I know I should have been offended, but I really enjoyed it." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think she's superb. I think the fact that obviously she's come back again and again for a big finish. Mm-hmm. Is great. The, 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 her passion for it is second to none. And it's it's interesting as well that you know out of a lot of probably I don't know, maybe almost all of the other companion actors, she's one probably the best sort of career afterwards. Interesting thing though as far as visibility and, and all that, you know. Interesting thing though about Liz Jameson is, I mean, I think I'm right. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that when it comes to fandom, I would say Sarah Jane was a far more a, a characters regarded with far more affection than yeah, anyone. Probably, now is that just yeah. because of the character? Is it because of the length of time that she served in the show? What is it? Probably about both. Because there wouldn't have been the excitement of Leela coming back in, That's true. in David Tennant's first season. As there true. was when Sarah Jane came back. It's interesting, there was, of course, you know, um, I think the right thing that John Nathan Turner approached Louise about coming back when Tom Baker was there. Yes, that's correct, to do last gap season. Yep. Between Tom and, and Davo. And of course, I mean, um, as Kenny says, she, she's done some brilliant stuff for Big Finish. And does she give a reason why she didn't want to do it? She just. I think she'd moved on at that point. She was doing yeah. ten or about to do ten. And I, and I think I uh, she said as much that she kind of regrets that and kind of wishes that she'd done it now. Just two or three stories. And mm-hmm. I know. That, I mean, did he ask Elizabeth as well? He did indeed. I, I'm not sure. He wanted he, a familiar face there for yeah, the gap because to change because Tom had been there so long. Have you have you heard any of the the War Doctor stuff that Big Finish had done? Yes, I've, I've heard the the first one. Yeah, the the best one of the best ones is the the one that Leela's in. I think our Andrew Smith of this parish wrote it. Yep. It's, it's stunning. I remember like, I listened to it at work whilst I was cashing up and I had to pause it <laughs> because I was like, this is a bit too intense. It was mm-hmm. so good. She, we'll have to do some of the She's phenomenal. At some point. She There's really one is. 
three episodes, three stories of each set. So mm-hmm. there we go. Um, yeah. There's one scene that she did in one of those sets, and uh, where she's talking about the, the possible lives Leela could have yeah. lived, yeah. and she had everybody in tears. And Andrew's an ex-copper, so obviously he's, he's seen quite a lot of horrible stuff, and he can be quite. Absolutely, and uh, and he was he was moved to tears by by the performance. She did it one take. There was no way they could improve on it. And usually, big finish to do oh, yeah. two or three. I mean, I say I was listening to it and I paused it. I had to pause it just because it was getting a bit. I had to message Andrew straight away and say, "Listen, this is phenomenal. It was, it was stunning." Yeah. I think it's fair I, to say we're all Louise Jimson fans here. Yeah, I don't think here. anyone else could have pulled it off as well as her. Frankly, yeah. good. Something else that I, I think, of course, we. We are avoiding the fact that some of the story looks bloody stupid. The man with the hat on his head and stuff like well, that. That's, well, that's deliberate, isn't it? Oh, it is. Well, the glove on his head. Yeah, but she doesn't know it. She doesn't know it's um. Yeah, yeah, that is deliberate. Oh, but I think it's it does look. It's a very dated spacesuit. But yeah. I mean, contextually, it's obviously it works. It's, it's, it's interesting as a story because I think the first two episodes are really good. I feel that once they get inside the the statue and all that and start you know walking about inside the spaceship, if you pardon the pun, I don't think it. I think it would be better as a three-parter, as the short version of what I'm saying. You know, I think mm-hmm. once they get inside, it can does stretch. You know, it does go on a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I did find my interest kind of wondering a little bit. You know, during the last yeah. episode. But that episode three cliffhanger is so good, isn't it? Oh, hey, it's it's right. absolutely. It's one of my favourites. Talk us through it. Uh, we've got uh, the doctor's made his way into Zoanin, and uh, and obviously slightly surprised to see his own face on the screen, and we get the, who am I? Yep. And you've got and the fact you've got so many voices doing it, it was Pamela Salem's obviously done one and there was the wee boy who was visiting the studio at the time, mm. got to put his voice, which is actually quite creepy when you've you've got all a story full of adults and all of a sudden you get creepy. Exactly. <laughs> um, are you my mummy? Um and you just get this suddenly this this little boy's voice saying It's it's, it's very mature, isn't it? It's that's it's it's an interesting thing about the Hinchcliffe era is that it doesn't pull its punches and you know, in that sort of stuff. It's it's very much an adult mature drama, you know, it's 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 very much it's it's light years away from the the day glow sort of friendliness of the John Perry stuff. Yeah. It's um it's this is you know an adult psychological drama. Yeah. It's it's and again it's, it's Boucher, isn't it? It's it's, the, it's that brilliant perfect storm of Chris Boucher and Robert Holmes and yeah. Bill Hinchcliffe, and then they do it all again the, with the next story, Robots of Death. Great world building, two stories in a row. There's the fact that you do get this alien environment and you do buy into it very very quickly. The fact you've got interesting characters, there's an interesting backdrop to it, and things have happened for a reason. I mean, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say about Robots of Death there, that's something for another time. Yeah. But um, the fact there is the world building characters yeah. and, and it, people do have a backstory. It Even, it, yeah, it just, you're right, it, and it shows that when the focus is on the storytelling rather than any kind of other agendas or anything, it just shows that, you know. It's untouchable when you yeah. feel like it. And, and there's also and it's, the fact, it's a shame they can't get back to that. Yeah. The fact we get to also a companion's father as well. Obviously right, dad yeah. Solly getting yeah. bumped yeah. off and early doors. And um we have and Leslie Schofield. Oh Leslie, Leslie Schofield, Schofield, I must say, is in my favourite scene in the Fallen Rise of Reginald Perrin. As um Reggie walks into his office and Leslie Schofield is there and Leslie Schofield's character says, oh, I was just writing you a note, Reggie. And Reggie says, Oh really? I thought you were ballooning across the Atlantic. <laughs> Love Leslie Schofield, and he's in Star Wars. Yes, of course. So Leslie Schofield had a good, you know, had a good seventies. Which yeah. Star Wars was he in? He's in the very first one. He's one of the, the guys. One of the, the governors around the table. With with Don Henderson and all that. So, yeah. aye, cracking face. You know, a lot of good yeah. stuff. My and Tom Kelly is in it as well, who plays the the soldier in the second Sapphire and Steel story, and he's the guy who gets trapped. He's one of the people that Leela kills and he, that spreads his arms out. 
and he's the guy who, in, I think it's the second Blake 7 episode, gets trapped in the walls of the spaceship. Oh, yes, yeah, uh, Nova. Know. Has that brilliant death, so, yep. yeah. Mm. I didn't realise that. Gets, killed, gets, gets killed by his shaving cream. Yeah, that's <laughs> death by shaving cream, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. There, there, there's a lovely character development bit of the Doctor in, uh, I think it's the second, maybe the third episode, where the Doctor's about to put on trial, you know, he has to do the whole thing with the crossbow, and if he, if he, if he misses, he'll fall into the pit of yes. the little... The horde, the horde, you know, they look a bit like low grade cybermats, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a story there somewhere. And at one point, one of the natives slaps Leela across right. the face, and the doctor doesn't really react. But then he kicks one of the slugs onto him, <laughs> and it bites into his arm, and yeah, he runs yeah. away. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. It just chivalrous. Yeah. It's, it's, in- it's interesting that um. Yeah, the doctor does that. That guy probably maybe dies after the hundred, yeah. but then he's he's quick to shout at Leela for stabbing people with Janus thorns. Yeah, and we do get the the great line about the the deadly jelly baby, That's right. which That's is yes. again, it's That's just so phenomenal. It's like, just I, perfect. I, I don't I don't take orders from anybody. Uh, but and it's a it's a bit like actually if you fast forward to Victor of the Daleks when Matt Smith holds up the Jammy Dodger to the Daleks yep. and holds the title to, to ransom That's and true. they don't fall for it either. <laughs> <laughs> don't use confectionery to fool people, That's kids. Right. That'll do. Yes, all in all, I love Face of Evil. Before we go on to the the next adventure, can I just remind you um, to subscribe to us on iTunes, and please leave a review because uh, that really helps us uh, build up the numbers. We also have a new website powerof3pod.com that's three as a number so you can listen to any episodes, download them we're about to start putting on a number of articles written by the three of us well, three, one of the three of us <laughs> um, and the, all the articles are canon so whatever we write is the truth yes. and if you disagree with it that means you're wrong so please feel free to read them and leave a comment oh, before you go on Tom Uh-oh. Tom Mm-hmm. What story does the Doctor like to drive? Well, why would this? Why would the Doctor drive a story? I don't know. Well, Castro Volvo. <laughs> Considering her childhood, it's astounding that Elizabeth I became the greatest female ruler of modern times. Would whoever is making that ridiculous noise please stop it at once? Sorry. The safety of the entire planet could be at stake. Hmm. The Queen is anxious to see you as soon as you arrive. We have a fear that the baby may come forth early. Baby? The Virgin Queen? A toast to her elf, I say, and any children that she may end up having. (laughs) To the Queen? Absolutely. To good Queen Bess. Doctor, Her Most Gracious Majesty, Queen Mary. Queen Mary? If they cannot step from the path of sin, then they will be purified in the flames. It's catching up in the, the nexus point. History. I'll cease to exist. Help me, help. This country will be Catholic before my death, Doctor, and no man will stand in my way. I will wipe the Protestant scourge from every corner of England. Next we have the Marian Conspiracy, which is a little sidestep into the canonical Big Finish universe. So uh, here, here's a question. So, is the canonical Big Finish universe canon with itself, or is it canon with the Doctor Who series? It's canon with everything. Of course, it is. Canon with my life. It's canon was with that, your was life. Was that established in Night of the Doctor when? That absolute. That was the final confirmation. Right, okay. Yes. 
Absolutely, that's that's information. It was, it was always intended, I think, because of the license and the, the official BBC logo. It was always, it was, you know, it was always intended to be canon. There was quite a few narrow-minded people somewhere, maybe that maybe are still labouring under the this what's the word comprehension apprehension. Exactly. That finish isn't canon. Isn't yeah. canon, but we all know it is. Exactly. It's <laughs> more canon than. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. not go there. No. Yes. Anyway, the Marian conspiracy was the sixth story in Big Finish's monthly range. It was written by Jacqueline Rayner, featured Colin Baker as the sixth doctor, and introduced Maggie Stables as the new companion, Dr. Evelyn Smythe. Evelyn was the first companion original to audio to be created by Big Finish. Yes. Is that it? That's it. One of the best things, again using an absolute, one of the, the best things that Big Finish have done is that they've given Colin Baker's doctor so much more of an extra life beyond what you had on television. Even, even, you know, a few more stories with Perry, just to round out their relationship, a few more stories with Melanie, tying up how the Doctor met her properly and all that sort of stuff. Um, but wouldn't, it, wouldn't that have involved having Bonnie Langford back in there? Oh, yeah, she's great, though. Carry oh, on. she is. Carry on. You need we'll to have, have the to, one Doctor. We'll, ha we'll have to do the one Doctor, we'll have to do the wrong Doctor. Mm -hmm. um, mm. what's, the, what's that one with the mechanoids, that really good Dalek story? Yeah, uh, the Juggernauts. Yeah, we'll need to do that. Let's have a Bonnie Langford special for Tom. Yeah, hooray! Um, no, so the, you know, it's you, you, nowadays you might call it expanded universe, but it was it was great because they they really decided that you know Colin, not that it really needed to decide, but Colin needed a, a lot more than he got on television. So in creating Evelyn Smythe was the first step in it because it gave it gave the Doctor a new companion to play opposite. It um, expanded the sort of the dynamic because it was quite. You know, the period that I mean, it was quite snidey at points. Um, and violent. Yeah, and, and it was just sort of, it was just really, one of the really exciting things about the, the early days of Big Finish was just the sense that, you know, they were really giving us a lot more that we hadn't had already, because, you know, it was, they very quickly gave us a few stories with Evelyn, and it was, it was just sort of, it kind of made Colin feel, not that he needed sort of, you know, vindicated or anything, but I think he himself was quite happy that it kind of gave him a bit more a bit more to do. This is quite an interesting story because the first time I heard it, I wasn't as clued up in the history of it all as I am now. You know, because you know, there was a stagehand on Sixth the Musical for two weeks in 2018. <laughs> so, um, you know, at that point, I think when I first heard The Marion Conspiracy, I had no idea that, that Queen Elizabeth's mother was, you know, was Anne Boleyn. Do you know what I mean? I, I saw a lot of the history went over my head. So, but nowadays, you know, listening to it again, it was the first time I'd listened to it in quite a while. Um, I was really sort of all right, cool. I know all this. I know how it works. It's um, it's it's still you can still tell that the BF are kind of finding their feet a little bit. You know, with some of the storytelling's a bit muddy. You know, the nexus point isn't too clear about exactly what you know, why that's happening. Um, but it's it's good. It gives you even a good solid introduction. So tell tell Colin us the tell sparkles. us the actual tell us the plot. What was the, very very quick. Well, loosely loosely speaking, the Doctor's tracking a nexus point in history, and it all narrows down to Evelyn Smythe, and and she kind of starts sort of. It turns out there's a crucial point in Evelyn's sort of personal history, family history, um, which could go either way, and they end up going back to you know, um, you know the, the brief period when, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> they go back to the brief period when you know when Mary was sort of on the throne, and they fix it so that Evelyn's family isn't sort of wiped from history. And the thing that kind of got me was, you're never really given an indicator as to why that's happening. I mean, maybe I don't really know what a nexus point is. Maybe I'm just showing my ignorance there. But it was like that. I remember at the time when I first listened to it, I thought that's a bit foggy. And this time, it didn't bother me as much because I'm a bit more interested in the history. But it's just so nice hearing the doctor getting a chance to be warm and avuncular rather than sort of, you know, because we kind of got the what we got on television was was maybe 
the start and the end of the development of the Sixth Doctor was not very much in the middle, so it was nice to start really uh, properly fleshing them out. Would you would you describe it as a purely historical adventure in the in the tradition of like the Highlanders? And... Not really, because there's there's the kind of there's a few more sort of sci-fi elements through it, like you know, with Evelyn sort of like fading in and out. And she's given course, a she's given a device to prevent device. her from phasing away. Yeah. It's um, it's it's I don't know, I, I don't like the term pseudo historical. It's, it probably is one of those. It's, 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 not, it's, pretty, it's, not, it's fairly much. It's, it's, you could classify it as that. There's no real like, sci-fi. Yeah, it's not like the Time Warrior or the Time yeah. Murder. It's a bit more yeah. closer to the the, the, the traditional. The, as yeah, as I've said already, the best thing. But it's just it's the beginnings of the wonderful work like finished did with the Sixth Doctor. But you know, still to come in the future. There's so there's, um, there's flip. And, obviously, and uh, Colin left the show on bad terms, mm. and he didn't come back to do the regeneration scene. How much effort had to be used to get him to return to the role for Big Finish? None. He was very much up for it. Obviously, he'd done the ultimate adventure by that point. Oh, and that was, of course, licensed by the BBC. And he, his casting was obviously approved by the BBC. And he was more than happy to come back because he knew that it was an, an opportunity to, to properly showcase mm -hmm. what but his yeah, Doctor I mean, would have been about. He's, he's never kind of cut his nose off despite his face, as it were, the Doctor Who. Do you know what I mean? I think he, he appreciates that, you know, obviously it's a job of work for him, but he appreciate, yeah, I'm sure he appreciates how much the fans appreciate it, you know, being able to expand. Because yeah. it's what I think, I think I said before when we were talking ages ago, one of the, what I like most about the, the Virgin novels in the 1990s was the stuff they did with the Sixth Doctor because, you know, they really expanded on what had been done on television. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Colin's the only doctor I've got every single release of that BF have done. Mm -hmm. I can't say anymore. I'm, I'm just rabbit here, guys. No, 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 no. I was about to Davies say. Marion monologue. Yeah, we're, <laughs> the Marion monologue. Join uh, in. No, I was, I was going to say, um, in terms of Evelyn as a character, she's absolutely perfect for Colin. The fact that she's a learned individual mm -hmm. who's erudite, witty, and she is a great counterpart or counterbalance, in fact, to his more acerbic wit yes. and the fact that you've got there is a genuine warmth between them very very quickly it's established and by the end of it you think yep these are this is a good pairing and this would have been perfect for Colin and TV it would have been phenomenal on television because you can just you can just picture them sort of having expressions and reacting and because she, she doesn't take any rubbish from them doesn't take any shit from them I, I, I do love the, the the energy between them and it did rem it reminded me of a kind of a failed partnership back in, in Pertwee's first season when he's got um, Good old Shaw, Liz. Liz Shaw. Uh, and it, it was deemed not to be working because she was a scientist herself and she didn't have to ask too many why questions yeah. in the way that the Joe Grant version yeah. did. Uh, but it works this time. I think she's got more humour about it than Liz was allowed. Yes, absolutely. I, th I think one of the worst things they did was, you know, obviously Caroline John left because she was, she was pregnant and all, but you know, can you imagine how much, how much more interesting it would have been if Caroline had stayed, that Andy brought Katie in? As well, you know the, uh -huh. dynam dyna the dynamic. Could have maybe done a gradual sort of phase out or whatever. Yeah. That, you know, mm -hmm. that would have been could have been really interesting. You know, yeah. met, met the master that sort of stuff. You know? Yeah, I think I think yeah, it's even. a great idea. I like that. Um, I think um, we should write some short trips about it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we'll I mean, I think box set to David Richardson. Um, <laughs> Maggie Stables, in terms of her performance, she's great. She's got um, 
her vocal quality is very different from what you'd expect. It's not proper RP, and it, the way she performs the dialogue, it really does sound like somebody speaking. It's not as if it's being performed. It's very naturalistic, mm-hmm. and I think she's she's got an absolute warmth because straight away you think, yep, yeah. I'd love to have had her one of my lecturers at uni or something like that. Some some of the stuff that starts, you know, there's quite a lot of sort of cute cutesy music, which maybe over sort of sweetens it a little at the start, but you know. There's so many really good stories that they did with Evelyn, and the good th- one of the interesting things they did with her was obviously we got we got a, we got a full arc. You know, we got stories mm-hmm. where she left, and you know, Evelyn obviously left and came back. Yep. So that's a thought actually. And we also get to see what her, the end of her life as yeah, well, uh, which is yeah. fascinating. I have to, yeah. One of the spoilers, and one of the <laughs> sad things, uh, one of the saddest things I've had to do in Vortex was actually the obituary for yeah. for Maggie when she passed away, mm-hmm. and. Um, but I'd actually done an interview with her for a fanzine that hadn't actually released. So I'd got this lovely, lovely text from her, which I was actually able to incorporate into the obituary and talking about her, her career, which in words that nobody had heard. And um, so I was able to, you know, to use it that way. And I genuinely was, you know, I was quite down that day because she'd you know, brought such a real warmth and I'd taken to Evelyn very, very quickly. Yeah, I think everyone did. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a measure of you know the fact that they used it in a couple of Sylvester stories to kind of tie up her arc and you know tie up the whole ongoing arc that the, you know it was in those stories at the time. Yeah. It's um I yeah. right. Well, that's a nice note to leave uh, the Marion conspiracy on. Still available to download. Indeed, only two ninety nine. Bargain. Next one. You can drop the pretense now, Doctor. I know what you are. We have received your distress signal. Red Rocket Rising. Funny name for a planet. I've heard funnier. Go on then, make us laugh. I've seen the old records. The stories about this sector of space dating back to the days of the pioneers. We've forgotten so much. We felt safe here in our quiet corner of the universe. I was there at their birth. I fought against them in countless wars, seeing their legacy in the burial pits of a hundred worlds. Now that's what I call a spaceship. <gasps> Proper saucer shape and everything. The Doctor is an enemy of the Daleks. You are an ally of the Daleks. It is your duty to surrender the Doctor to us. You have asked for help. In return, we expect your cooperation. Our third adventure from this episode is Blood of the Daleks, according to TARDISFandom.com was the first story in the first series of the 8th Doctor Adventures, produced by Big Finish Productions. It was written by Steve Lyon, Lyons and featured Paul McGann as the 8th Doctor and introduced Sheridan Smith as a new companion, Lucy Miller. It was released in two parts, in January and February 2007, respectively. Co-produced with BBC Seven, this was the first Doctor Who audio story to debut on the radio since The Ghosts of Endspace in 1996. This story takes place after the final story featuring Charlotte Pollard with the Eighth Doctor, namely the girl who never was. Well, here we go. Okay, I think you can probably... But isn't it interesting that TARDISFandom.com says it was released in two parts in January and February 2007, respectively. So they didn't issue first part part in February. And part one in January. Indeed. They did it, they did it actually chronologically. That's so bizarre. Oh, thank goodness they of course, that it's actually slightly inaccurate to our friends at TARDISWiki.com oh, because um, the first episode actually went out in December 
2006 on the radio, and then... Okay, maybe just talking about the CD release there. Well, no, they should no, have specified no. right. that. Yeah, they I should have specified that. If you're going to be specific and pedantic, TARDIS wiki people, not you, Dave, not at all. You're absolutely right. Well, actually, it does say it was released in two parts, January and February 2007. It doesn't say anything about broadcast. Right? Well, it should do. If they've mentioned that it was broadcast on yeah. the first story to be broadcast, since the first yeah. one since the Ghost of End Space, so... Oh, dear. Anyway... See, this, this is the kind of argument that people listen to this Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and relax now, because Ken's going to talk about Sheridan Smith yeah, for the next I think, years. I think, dear listeners, oh. you can probably hear there's a big grin in my face <laughs> right now, and the boys can see it. <laughs> Tom's just shaking his head in disdain and disgust. I have been a huge fan of Sheridan Smith since the late 90s when she first appeared in Holby City and she played a young murderess who was claiming to be the witness to a crime but in fact she'd done it and then of course she later showed up in the royal family as Emma and got to marry Ralph Little. Oh I forgot about that. And People used to say I looked at Ralph Little before my hair fell out. <laughs> that's not, yes that's true actually. Yeah, I, I, I was saying to Carl the other night I thought Ralph Little would have been a good doctor. Could still be. It is. Well, no wrong wrong sex. Could make it. I don't know if he changes back. She, oh, sorry, if she changes back. Listen to these rude people just ruining killed. my love. Sorry, Kenny, carry on. And then, of course, uh, along came two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Anyway, the blood of the Daleks. I was so excited when I heard that Sheridan had been cast in the blood of the Daleks, as Nick says ominously in the titles. Um, the only big finish series to actually feature narration and or something, you know, telling you the story title as the credits go up. That's probably that's symptomatic because it was on the actual, the actual radio. Yeah. It's yeah. quite it's quite funny listening to Briggsy doing that voice. I know. When you know it's him, and it's like yeah. Drops off anyway. And David, yeah. Sorry, but but sorry, just the slight detour here. But at the beginning of Storm Warming mm-hmm. is that the first Paul that's McGann? That's the first McGann one, yeah. It quotes from his diary, and it doesn't do it in any oh, other yeah. adventure. And I thought that's an odd thing to do. Tardis Manual, Tardis Manual, Tardis Manual, yeah. It's just, it, 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 they kind of dropped it. And, and I thought, well, actually, it's not a bad idea for an audio adventure. It's better than an audio adventure than it is for a TV adventure. Mm. But they, they, they seem to drop it quite quickly after that. I think it's very much because he was obviously travelling alone and had to do the, yeah, the explanation yeah. as to what's going on so he can follow it with the Vortisaurus outside. Of course. But um, we're yes. not talking about Charlie Pollard's arrival. We're talking Sorry. about my second wife's arrival. <laughs> <laughs> The next Mrs. Smith. Indeed, she's already got the name, so yeah. we don't need to worry about that. Oh, she could be Mrs. Smith squared. Um, anyway, he's, I was he's so thought, excited with the thought casting. About this already, you know. Um, oh, I suppose I have. I told her as such. Um, she's just Is that why you're not allowed legally to go within 100 yards of her? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm only allowed phone contact, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, she follows me on Twitter and her Facebook friends and everything. Yeah, that's so. that's a good one. Actually, listeners, do te- which um which recurring Doctor Who cast member would you most like to have in a streaming order? <laughs> Put in in reference to anyway. Back to the point. Yes, the I will move quickly on to the plot now. Uh, the Doctor's in the TARDIS, and all of a sudden, a uh, woman materializes there, a bit like the Runaway Bride, which has been shown just a few days earlier which was an unfortunate coincidence, but there we go. So the Doctor and Lucy materialise on the planet Red Rocket Rising. And which they, I loved as the name of the planet. I yeah. And they encounter the president who's on the run, Irene, Eileen Clint, with her assistant, Asha Gryvern, played by the wonderful Hayley Atwell. Yeah, I'd like oh. a restraining order from Hayley Atwell. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that can be arranged. Let's see what we can do. So yes, they're on the run, and uh, the Doctor and Lucy meet them and very quickly find out that there's something amiss. The planet's surrounded by radioactive waste 
and uh, with Asha she has created some a new race of Daleks using crushed Daleks from uh, craft on the planet and then of course the real Daleks have heard a request for help from Red Rocket Rising from the human colonists and they arrive looking to exterminate these other Daleks because they're not pure enough as they don't want to have impurities in the blood of the Daleks and they are there to exterminate and of course the Doctor and Lucy get mixed up in the events and have to foil not just one race of Daleks but two. It's very interesting as a companion of the Doctor story because she's all, her stuff's almost secondary to the plot. I think the plot's brilliant. It's a really, mm -hmm. it's an excellent sort of, there's so many... And a good performance with Kenneth Cranham as yeah, well. Some it's excellent it's... science fiction ideas going on, like, you know, as you say, the, the dust cloud and all that. And I don't think they've done that elsewhere at all. Someone else creating a range of, you know, I'd forgotten that element of it. I mean, I've only, I've only had the first series of Lucy Miller. I've got, I've got them all. I haven't listened to them all yet. Um, but I was, I was really, I was really digging it and I was walking to him from work this week. It was sort of like, this is, this is a brilliant, solid... Yeah, science fiction really plotty, really really good story. Steve Lyons, isn't it? It was indeed. Yeah. I like With, he's good. He I, I, I like the return, as as Doctor Who often does. It returns to this idea when it talks about dialects to the eugenist theories and the purity of the race and the purity of the blood. I think that is really true to Terry Nation's original idea, which was based on the Nazis. I think. Sometimes the, the 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 dialects just come across as all oh, the baddies, and that's about sure. it. But when they when when you start. Discussing there is a bit in Dalek Empire as well, mm -hmm. where it's 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 about the purity of the race. And I think that is a really well politically it's a really important message, but mm. it's it's uh, it's good when you when you do it with the Daleks. I think just because it, it reminds you of what they're there for in the yeah. first place. Yes, I think there's so much so much good stuff in there. There's a lot of good humour, and Lucy I think is instantly likable. I think you've you've actually she's got the banter with the Doctor. She's very much the a normal twenty first century girl, and he's. A slight, slightly more. I think um, Sheridan described him as being, is like the posh older brother, and they have that kind of relationship very quickly. You can tell that the the McGann's a lot, you know, really settled now. He's really into it. I think I think you maybe you can tell that he's quite. I mean, you can absolutely tell from from listening to these, he's, he's enjoying the the straightforwardness of it all. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think a lot of the. Charlie and Kenneth stuff got a bit sort of convoluted and a bit, you know. Yeah, he was he was actually thinking this would be his last batch. He was yeah. actually thinking about leaving at this yeah. point, mm -hmm. and this series reinvigorated him. He enjoyed working with Sheridan. Not that he didn't didn't enjoy working with Conrad and yeah. India, yeah. and he had a great time uh, doing these, and that reinvigorated him. And why we still got him today. You can absolutely tell, and it's I think again I was saying there about um, the best thing about Finish had done was was expanding the sixth doctor. The eco probably the, the other if, you know, by close sort of second by narrow margin is what they did with the eighth doctor as well. I think we've got an awful lot of fun with this story. It does give you a it does feel like a new beginning. Yeah. In fact we've got you don't I mean obviously you need you know your doctor, you know your Daleks and you know who the Time Lords are, but you, it doesn't really matter too much. So I'd imagine that people coming fresh to this from not having seen Doctor Who and uh, or, or they'd seen it only on TV but didn't know too much more about past Doctors. It's a great intro because the pacing and the feel of it is very much like the TV series, yeah, which was a deliberate yeah. echo to yeah. try and do that reformat well, into I these remember, episodes. I seem to remember there were, there were trailers, McGann recorded trailers, didn't he, where he, where he talked about... Yes, I've got not, two of them in my phone being, right now. ...not being northern enough. Mm -hmm. right, Can we drop one in? Doctor Who. Hello. Remember me? That incident with the Eye of Harmony and the Master? 
San Francisco, New Year's Eve, 1999. Yes, of course you do. Still, you don't want to hear about that, do you? You want to know what happened next. I'm the doctor, by the way. What do you mean I'm not the doctor? I think I should know who I am. In fact, I'm certain of it. I don't sound northern enough. I don't know what you mean. I am the doctor. T-shirt and a leather jacket. No, that's definitely not me. I have much more sartorial elegance than that. See? Well, maybe I will be, but I'm not yet. Hopefully not for some time. It sounds ghastly. It's called regeneration. A way for a Time Lord to stay alive after his body dies. I... Yes, a Time Lord. From the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casturbaris. Look, are you going to keep interrupting me like this? Regeneration? Twelve times. That's thirteen bodies in total. I'm in my eighth incarnation. Now, I thought you wanted to know what happened after San Francisco. Yes, that's where I met Charlotte Pollard, my traveling companion. My friend, Charlie. Yes, I rescued her from the R101. On Earth, October 1930. Yes, it crashed, killing everyone on board. But I rescued her. I saved her life. Maybe I have changed history. But what else could I do? I could hardly let her die, could I? Die? All right, all right, pull up a chair, if you can. Very well, if you're sitting comfortably, I shall begin. Paul McGann stars as Doctor Who, Saturday nights at half six and half midnight on BBC Seven. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's so contemporary, and I think you know, it shows that, the, that the doc Paul's Doctor can just stride yep. the balance between, you know, the modern approach to storytelling, which they've continued to do with the Doctor, but obviously he, he quite a good run of the, the sort of yep. traditions. How did you find it, Tom? It was one of the first ones I listened to, mm -hmm. and um, it was probably the one I'm, at that point, the one I enjoyed, enjoyed most, because I thought that the story was brilliant. I mean, I, I was listening to it thinking, I wish this had been on television. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. as, as you're saying, David, it's got some great science fiction elements, and I did like the character of Lucy Miller, and I loved the dynamic between them where he gets just frustrated with her all the time. Mm -hmm. Which has been done before, but I thought it was done in a really affectionate, clever way. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, I love Kenneth Cranham in anything he does. Mm -hmm. And I love the eugenic side of things, you know, the, the, the purity of the blood of the Daleks. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was great. I think this is one of the... There's, there's, there's only one other big finish that I listened to that I thought, well, I want to listen to that again. And this is one of them. The mm -hmm. other one was... Damn. I think it was the Rob Shearman one where the, the Sixth Doctor goes to the an invented castle. Yes, oh, and Holy Terror. Holy Terror. That's Holy Ter just Holy Terror's excellent. I think yeah. they, they, it's got a bit of a, a nearly big finish ending, but it's joyous. I mean, that's another one where it's like, let's give the Sixth Doctor something that suits him. Yeah. I might listen to that again. Soon. So yeah, I would I would certainly recommend if if people haven't listened to the Eighth Doctor Adventures or to any big finish, uh, if they start off with this one, they could do worse. Absolutely. Devils. Well, uh, that's us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we'll also have a Twitter account, Power of Three Pod. Again, that's three is a number. And a Facebook page where you can leave comments, suggestions, and of course, listen to episodes of this podcast. So for now, it's cheery bye from me. Yes, goodbye, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Yeah, whatever. Oh.